Amen. Good night. A good night. So for to remind those of you who may not have picked that up yet, if you came in just at the wrong moment, I don't think we sent out an email yet, but we have restarted our our time of ministry to the Lord in an adoration focus, intentionally looking and gazing at Him. And uh, it, it, it started years ago with a, a dream. It was a real intense dream uh, that I had years ago and where uh, the Lord was inviting us as a church to be sons of Zadok. And um, <clears throat> I was... Um, not even that familiar with what that meant, but out is in Ezekiel, and it spoke of those that were called to minister to the Lord, and these were those uh, they were different than the regular priests who were called to minister to the people. They were those called to minister to the Lord, and so we chose at that time to focus on uh, giving the first hour to the Lord, and so. We are back to that. We stopped that first season. We felt that was the direction for that time, but we can really tell the Lord's uh, instructing us to this again. And, uh, and so we are doing that from 6.30 to 7.30. So we're just starting 30 minutes earlier than we have been. 6.30 to 7.30 is the hour of adoration ministry to the Lord. And then we step into kind of whatever, regular congregational worship where you may get some more songs or may or may not be any songs in the first hour, but it's all about focusing on him. We exalt the Lord and lift him up and he comes in a big way. And um, Rachel, what is it? About 60 couples we have so far for the, the family foundation? About 70 now. So if you want to be in a party with 70 other couples or so and you didn't sign up yet, you want to do so today. It starts on Thursday. All right, does this sound right? The... Um, I didn't think so because it doesn't sound right to me. I feel like some people are yelling at me from inside these um, things, but I'll keep talking. There, that got better for me. It may not be any better for you all. But um, Lord, help them help us in the sound system. And so it sounds better for me, but I don't know how that is out there. Give them a few minutes. Well, Lord, we just invite you into this part and we just thank you for what you are doing in our midst and, and uh, what you're revealing to us and where you're taking us and how you are sovereign and in charge and awesome and mighty and almighty. And uh, just ask your Holy Spirit to uh, anoint the ears, the hearts, the spirits to receive what you are saying, that you would anoint me to speak and share what, uh, what you have for me tonight. All right. Well, I'm going to be speaking on a title called Victory Over Jezebel. And um, it is related, of course, to the prophetic word we were given a couple times and some more on the side from Stacy Campbell, who was here last weekend in the Winds of Hope Prophetic Conference. And in it, she was telling us and, and spoke over Elizabeth and I, said some things personally, said some, some things last Saturday night in the meeting here and had spoken in an earlier meeting that she saw, as it were, like a whole bandwidth over the city of Atlanta that Jezebel was a, a, a or the ruling principality and that the Lord had specifically called us and anointed us and she spoke to Elizabeth and I as a, as a Jehu couple, having a Jehu anointing even to... 
be those who have victory over Jezebel and that it had been intense and there had been, you know, say Jezebelic uh, assignment, um, Jezebelian assignment over us. And uh, there was a need for us to press into the Lord and, and, and resist and, and uh, be faithful, persevere because uh, she spoke. It was just that part. This part was exciting. I hadn't seen this before that in Revelation 2, when it speaks the message to the seven churches, one of the seven churches was a church of Thyatira. And it is specifically the church that they were told the good things they did, commended on their love and works, good works and different things. But I have this against you that you allow the woman Jezebel, the prophetess, she who calls herself a prophetess, to teach immorality, sexual immorality, and to uh, encourage even eating food offered to idols and idolatry. And, um, and, uh, but she went into the promise associated with those who would overcome Jezebel and it's that they would be given power over the nations. And so that, that we were contending for power of the nations for ourselves uh, as Daystar. And also this was the call over the city of Atlanta. And she being a Canadian really didn't know and doesn't know anything of the call over Atlanta or the history of Atlanta and what's been warred over and, and what God is, is now pressing the city into and uh and then the promise besides you will have power of the nations and i will give you the day star depending what version of the bible you have will either say morning star or day star but it's the same it's the same word and that sewn into the name our name as a church was already the victory and so that was it was a very encouraging word and uh haven't even told her, but those you might remember, uh, I don't know, last time I talked about it a year or two ago, that I felt like I was shown that even the name of our church angel, our angel was, is I-Star. I saw the spelling of its I and star, and we even got, uh, you know, uh, something for each one of the letters, uh, the uh, intercession, strategic, let's see, see if I can remember, I-S-T-A-R, intercession, surveillance, target acquisition, and reconnaissance, really military terms, even that this is in the spirit, what we've been called to in our, our assignment. And, um, and Catherine Wanala, and she was a tremendous blessing last weekend also, and she uh, came from Australia, and, and she spoke prophetically over us some very important things also I won't go into, but she also said she saw a very large church angel uh, that, that, was, that, that was here, and, and that was encouraging. And so I think part of what was sort of, I don't want to say novelty for me, uh, you know, I, I've been aware that there has been ongoing confrontation with Jezebel that I've done even throughout my life. And, and, but I really maybe hadn't seen how much of that had come against even my family and as us as a church, as Daystar. And so I was just thinking of it in a wider way. And I don't like, you may know that, you, you've been here a long time. I don't really like to talk about the enemy much, to exalt the enemy, to say many things about uh, about the enemy, to you know, to tell their strengths and what they do, because it's like you exalt the Lord, you know, and, and, and then the enemy runs. But I felt like the Lord was leading me into this 
this study in this series, it may turn out into two or three point part series because there is an understanding we want to have as to the nature of, of our enemy and, and how we stand against it. You know, there's a lot of material and books and study on, on Jezebel and, and a lot of it is hard for me to uh, pay much attention to, I'll say. If you, uh, you know, you read traditional stuff on Jezebel and they'll say, here are the symptoms or manifestations of Jezebel and it goes through all of them. You pretty much like anybody who's doing anything wrong, it's Jezebel. And it's, you know, if, if you're, uh, uh, if, if you're a manipulator, if you're depressed, if you have uh, certain pains in your body, if you uh, have a hard time admitting you're wrong, if you're, but you go, all these things are kind of human uh, that I've found to be kind of, you know, in all my kids and things like that. And so. And I'm not quite prepared to call them Jezebels. And, but in that, there are, I believe the Lord uh, was helping me and showing me some, some key characteristics that we want to look at. And um, here's the direction. I just want to give you the direction, I think, um, for tonight is I really have overall like eight parts of this message. Not that it will take eight sessions. I really think I can share like there's four questions we address. I believe we can get through tonight and not go too long. If not, we'll just push it off to the next and then we'll do five through eight, five, six, seven, eight in in, in our next time. And um, number one will be what or who is or was Jezebel? That'll be the first thing we want to identify in case you're just new to the whole Jezebel talk. Number two will be how does Jezebel get strength? Number three, what does a Jezebel attack attack feel like? Number four, what protects from Jezebel or gives authority over Jezebel? Again, we hope we get through those four tonight. And then the other four questions would be, who is susceptible to Jezebel as a target of Jezebel? Then there's, who is susceptible to Jezebel as a vehicle of Jezebel? If you get the difference. As an instrument, there's one's the one being targeted and one the one being used. Number seven, what do you do if you realize you have been a vehicle or an instrument of Jezebel? And number eight, what is a Jehu anointing and how do you get it? Because that was one of the things Stacy Campbell talked about, that there was a Jehu anointing. And so we want to uh, cover that also. In that, we want to, you know, address, I don't know if there'll be separate issues, but uh, if I kind of already mentioned it, what is the, you know, what is the promise for overcoming Jezebel and how do we apply the prophetic word from Stacy Campbell for us at Daystar and, 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 uh, and, and as it relates to our call to defeat Jezebel or see her defeated in the city and by extension, the mountains of arts and entertainment, the mountain of celebration. If you know, in my, uh, in my book on the seven mountains, I identify Jezebel as the principality of the mountain of celebration. So some of the application we'll do will be helpful for those who are in the arts industry. We do have people from Hollywood that regularly listen uh, to our messages. And so we want to do something that's helpful for them also. And uh, we'll look into how we know that Jezebel is a principality. Identify why, other than just, you know, discernment, is Jezebel a principality? Illegal principality, we might 
point out in the city of Atlanta and uh, in some of its history and the way things uh, manifest. And again, I will say that I have known uh, uh, of Jezebel confrontation and, and, um, and I have been involved in, in battles. I'll just, I don't know if I may go in a little, in a little more depth in a moment, but the original uh, move that I grew up in, my dad was an, a leader, an apostle in it, but it, it, uh, it deviated. And so I confronted the entire movement. I wrote a paper, uh, a mini book that was confronting that move. And uh, that was when I was 28 years old that I wrote that, you know, a few years ago. And um, my father, again, who was one of like the eight apostles in the movement that's in, it was in, in nations around the world and, and uh, many cities in America. And it's, it's a movement that had, uh, you know, some level, some, a lot of truth, but then some really, really not so good stuff also. And uh, with, uh, with what I wrote, he was able himself to leave that movement. You know, as I asked him to read it, he wrote a forward with it. And he himself realized when he saw how I put it together, that this was something he needed to leave, even though he had served it for a, for a long time. Well, the leader of, of, of that move, uh, he himself had fallen to Jezebel early on in the formation of this movement. And, um, and he had, uh, for a season, he had, with permission from his wife, he had asked, uh, he felt like God had told him that he was supposed to enter into relationships with another woman and that out of that, there would be uh, a manifestation of that which in the book of Revelation is called the man-child. And, um, and that would rule uh, the nations uh, with a rod of iron. So he, he got a little, uh, little divine-minded um, little intruding in territory of God, thinking he was a little more divine than he was. Well, he was almost killed, and he almost died in the process of of, of that year. And again, this all goes all the way back to the early '60s when th- this really took place. And so he repented of it and said he was wrong. He misunderstood God, and that it had to do with a spiritual union between him and a congregation, all that kind of stuff. But that that stuff was in the original movement that I was a part of. And then uh, we were part of, huh? Yeah, I, a part of my wife is pointing out, I grew up in, I really didn't have a choice. I was in it from four, four years old on and they didn't really let us vote for things when we were four years old. But um, I, uh, it was a really, really, really big and tough deal for me. I confronted that entire movement, I'd already had to, on our, on our local community farm in Peru, I had to confront by myself as a teenager, 17 elders on a matter that, uh, and I can't go into the story, but it came out, came obvious that I was right and they were wrong in this matter. And, and so when I confronted this entire movement, it was scary for me because I didn't know a single person in the world who agreed with me. There was a very closed-in group. I didn't know anybody else. And so it was just me and God getting this stuff and sharing it and declaring it. 
and uh, there was a lot of intimidation, witchcraft, uh, and even after I confronted this movement, one of the happened by just by perchance to meet one of the uh, other remaining apostles just uh, at someone's house, and uh, he told me he had read my. Uh, my my letter it wasn't a letter but mini book where I had confronted uh, the the leader of that movement and uh, and really I didn't just confront I said he's a false prophet and here's why he's a false prophet and so he um, he said first thing he said I read I read what you wrote and I go yeah he says yeah I'm surprised a roof hadn't fallen on you somewhere you know just straight to intimidation that'll be one mark of Jezebel you want to pick up. But the Lord gave me strength and I looked at him. I said, I had the same surprise when I looked at you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, tw- I was about, again, 28 and he was about 55. But the Lord gave me that kind of strength uh, to go ahead and just smile at him and said, I was surprised the roof hadn't fallen on him. But it's okay. And uh, we had a good conversation after that. But um, went from that to being part of, and I'll say the name of the church. It was here in Atlanta in the late eighties, uh, Chapel Hill Harvester church. And, uh, it was going like from the frying pan to the fire in some ways. And, but the one confrontation pr- prepared me for another one. And, uh, great came out of there. That's where I met Elizabeth and we got married and we were there a total of, a, I was there a total of about five years. She was there about five years before me, but we ended up being real key in confronting that ministry. And at the time, in 1992, when we left the church, it was the fastest growing church in America. It was the one most well spoken of. It was in the newspapers, in the Atlanta newspapers. We're covering it positively on a regular basis. George Bush Sr. had made it one of the thousand points of light. And, uh, you know, they had a, a really good image in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, around the globe... Their, their TV messages were going all over the place. There had been the void left by Jimmy Swaggart following, and this, this ministry and this message was going out through there. And so when we confronted it, we were part of uh, confronting it, mainly by leaving and then just saying why, why we left. But there was some clear confrontation the Lord uh, asked of us also. Again, we didn't have credibility. We weren't known uh, ministries or anything. We were uh, young people. And, uh, again, we had been in leadership in that church. And so it was a very intense time. And, uh, part of, you know, uh, in our confrontation, I wrote a letter to the bishop of that church and I gave him five specific steps of repentance he must take and that he would give account to God for. He wouldn't meet with me personally. And, um, and I, I was, uh, uh, I was told by someone really closer, I can't go much of the story, that it rattled him tremendously. And shortly thereafter, I was part of a lawsuit where the church sued me and a group that had left for $24 million. But I was, it was determined that I was enemy numero uno of the church and pastors were warned to stay away from me. I lived in the community right behind the big cathedral there along with the pastors all around. But there was a very, very, very strong Jezebel spirit associated with that. And um, again, back in 1992, it was in Charisma, a good bit. We were in CNN. Elizabeth was on a couple, uh, I don't remember even the, the programs. 
and, and, and we're having to be part of confronting because there is, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the pastor, the leader of that church had uh, a whole group of, uh, of uh, um, concubines. I don't know what else to call them. He was mistresses would be the word, about 10 of them. And meanwhile, it's the most respected spirit filled church in America and leaders that you would know from all over the America would come and say, this is the cutting edge man of God. And, and, and uh, very anointed people would come and say, this is the most anointed man of God. But we knew some very, knew some things by the spirit and then his own uh, children, his own kids who were pastors there confirmed more stuff. They, they were, uh, we were some level of friendship. In fact, his, his, uh, shortly after we left, his three daughters and three son-in-laws all left his own church. And so he knew there was, um, uh, there was some, uh, uh, I don't know, in his mind, I suppose that I carried some weight what I did. And uh, again, there's a whole long story, but it was, uh, the, uh, the, a key part I wanted to get to is there was a prophetess on staff there. And I won't say her name, but she was mainlining Jezebel. If Jezebel, uh, you know, if, if Jezebel had, uh, you, you look in the dictionary and there you needed to see, uh, make the, 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 you know, the connection there. This person would be the one fully manifesting the traits. And um, this person, we, we had same backyards, her backyard and our backyard, they would come up. Uh, to each other. And we thought great things of her early on, early years. And she was prophetic and, and spiritual and all these things. But then, uh, you know, it came out that she was heavily involved in just in her own level of the sexual immorality with the leader of the church. And while he was married to someone else, but then uh, she was the one also involved in providing, uh, setting up the other uh, mistresses for him. And, and they had this whole inner circle doctrine of how this was good for ministry. And it wasn't like they knew they were, it wasn't like pretending like, well, we're doing wrong, but you know, we can't help it. It was like, this is, uh, it was intentional that if, if you are spiritually anointed and called by God, if you have these relationships among yourselves, it actually strengthens what you're doing. You have more anointing and, and called by God. If you have these relationships among yourselves, it actually strengthens what you're doing. You have more anointing. And then what would take place in the church and in the nation would seem to, to bear that out. She came to the church and the church had been, uh, uh, had about, from what I understand, about 300 members after I think decades and, and she came and, and she was all spiritual and prophetic and all these other things. And the church immediately went to this boost, uh, and became a mega church almost overnight through her influence. And so she gained great credibility in all this, um, in all this, uh, process and the church, again, it became the fastest growing church in America. One of the largest churches in, in America and largely contributed to her. And at this time in 1992, when things went public and there was a lawsuit against us and, and there was, again, many uh, women, young ladies that came out and said how they had been seduced and how this inner circle doctrine had been used. One of the things we were constantly uh, 
told those who came and saw us and called us were that this being Elizabeth and I is how they just have tremendous fear and they keep having nightmares of this particular prophetess and, and that she has made these curses and she's done it before in years past and said so-and-so would die and they were in a bad wreck and they'd die. And, and, you know, there was this big intimidation. I could feel it on me also, but I, you know, she's in our neighbors and she'd drive out and I would remember looking and seeing her. She's drying out and I just lock, I would just lock eyes with her like not here. You know, it was just like, and I felt God in me strong, but it was a, it was a serious confrontation. This same uh, woman who was mainlining Jezebel, you have to add a little, it's not quite enough. I just feel like we just need a little pause here for just a second. You have to understand something, especially those of you who don't know Johnny and I very well personally. This is the first time in 15 years of being a pastor and preaching all over the world that he has ever publicly talked about this. So this is, this is on purpose. This is not done lightly. And this is our city. This is not just our story. This is our city. And where he's taking this is important for the church of Atlanta. And so God is trusting us with this information at this time in this season because we are all going to do something about it. So this is with purpose, okay? So this, I know this is uncomfortable to hear this. I can't explain to you how uncomfortable it is for him to have to even share it. But this is important, so. Thank you. It is. It is. There's... To share too much would defile you. To not share enough, you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, we'll just say it was severe sexual immorality, but it was done under spiritual guise and cover. And then it seemed to translate into uh, there being a buzz uh, and, and energy and an anointing on the place. And, and again, we're going to have some understanding why that, why that takes place also. And um, this person, again, this person, I'll just say this Jezebel was also instrumental. There was another pastor in Atlanta who had had a failed church and marriage and uh, some 25 years, somewhere between 20 and 25 years ago, he came to her for, uh, he came to the church and he looked to the pastor of this church, to the bishop of this church, bishop of this church as a spiritual father. Uh, And so he was turned over to Jezebel so that she could minister restoration to him. And so in the ministry of restoration, he came out of there, he's remarried, and he started a church, and the church went huge and has been one of the largest churches in Atlanta, one of, uh, again, has had a tremendous reputation until recently, the last couple of years. And and there has been... uh, Again, a, a serious fall there that has that has taken place. It's been a an international news. It's been news here in Atlanta, and so I'm going to tell you enough. And I don't know what time it'll be okay, even just to say everybody's names. But that's not really the point uh, right now. She was also used to quote minister to and restore other pastors that became mega pastors, mega church pastors, and there there seemed to be something about what would come from her would actually release something where they could uh, uh, grow 
uh, even in a phenomenal way where people would think it's a move of God and that it's supernatural, but it was totally always with this very twisted sexual Jezebelian doctrine mixed in the midst of it. And we have, so I'm telling you, when she's speaking these words, when Stacy Campbell's speaking these things to us, she knew none of these uh, things regarding us and my own personal history. And we've had some other stories, other situations we've had to be a part of, intervene and listen, and, and where it's the evidence of Jezebel with very national leaders also in, in uh, uh, you know, here in the United States. And, and it's like we're always dealing with something like that. So I've I'm always, I've been aware that that's always happening. And, and I'm, all, I'm, I'm aware even when I go different places, I can feel witchcraft coming against me in different cities and nations. And, and it's, there's a certain way it feels even to me. And I'll, I'll get into that at, at some point. And, but I, I really just hadn't think, seen in the whole context of how it's, it's now a whole family and a whole church call, called to have freedom and victory over Jezebel. Again, that's this message. And if it's a series, it's victory over Jezebel. So we're not here to, uh, we're not really here to praise Jezebel at all, but some understanding even to this prophetic word and to uh, what is our assignment call and possibly understanding why it is it is an unusual church. There's an unusual assignment. It takes people of specific resolve and intensity to press through. And why we really do have to be Seven Mountain Love Marines and why, uh, you know, we're trained on our destiny as an obstacle course designed by God to maximize our capacity to love. And, and in this, I believe there, this, the point of even this message and the, in the next, you know, whether it's one or two times more that we have to share on this subject will be that... I think some of you, I feel like the Lord just let me in on how many of you have been being hit by Jezebel and Jezebelian strategies. And, uh, and it's tied into who you are and it's tied into being a part of this church and our call here. And I believe he is uh, giving us victory. He's going to continue to give us victory. It's sown into the name of the church. I will give you the day star if you will overcome Jezebel. So, Having said that, that kind of gives you a little intro. We want to hit these points of who or what is or was Jezebel. And I do need to stay, I need to move faster. So I'm going to stay with notes so I can cover the things that need to be covered. And I'm going to try to hold back from doing too many uh, rabbit trails. Or if not, it will for sure be a three-part series. But number one, Jezebel is a name given to a demonic personality that has a basic mission to seduce or kills God, to kill God's prophets, prophetic churches, or prophetic people. I'll say that again. Jezebel is a name given to a demonic personality that has a basic mission to seduce and or kill God's prophets, prophetic people, prophetic churches. Now, prophets go beyond being those who give prophetic words. Prophets include those called to display God's glory through music, arts, mountain of celebration, the fashion, movies, etc. 
If you're called to that mountain, you really are called as a prophet, as a prophetic person. Anything that reveals that he is still alive, still speaking, still creating, still revealing is the prophetic. The prophetic is that which God is saying or revealing today through his kids. Scripture again says, my sheep know my voice. So these are his sheep who know his voice and are revealing it in some way or another. It is really what keeps us from just being religion. It is the evidence he keeps speaking. So this is telling you again, the name uh, Jezebel is a name given to a uh, a demonic personality. In the Bible, we won't go there right now, but we want to make you aware, as most of you will already be aware, that Jezebel was the daughter of the king of Tyre or Sidon, and who married Ahab, king of Israel, in what was mainly a politically motivated union, Tyre or Sidon, where she came from, is basically where is now Lebanon, the area above Israel, and there would be political reason for purposes of protection uh, and a, a union to protect from Syria even. She was a priestess of Baal who had 400 prophets of Asherah, part of Baal, that sat at her table daily once she was queen of Israel. And so we want to make note that obviously Jezebel in the scriptures, in the book of Kings, was the instrument or vehicle of the principality. So therefore, obviously the demonic personality preceded Jezebel. Therefore, the name Jezebel serves more as a description of a principality rather than specifically identifying the name of the demon or the demonic force. It actually could be a strand of three or four demons working together. Lust is obviously at the center of the mix, but there is other things going on there too. But if you get the point... Jezebel is a person that did not exist until the book of Kings. We know that Delilah, years before with Samson, was operating under the same power. And so we can't say it was under Jezebel because Jezebel didn't show up till later. So Jezebel is a name we use. It really could just be another mask of Satan. That's why I say with all the seven mountains, the principality making a big deal of who it is. And is, do we have the correct name as they walk around in hell? Are they called this name? We, you know, we don't know that uh, for sure. Uh, we say we've a uh, principality of the religious spirit. That's probably not the name it's giving, given as it walks around by its buddies. And neither is Baal because Baal obviously didn't exist for a while also. And so we just want to be aware. That's not the big deal. It's by, by, by calling it Jezebel and talking about it as a principality, we are uh, identifying a, a, a way it manifests more than, uh, you know, this is who it is and this is the person that it actually, or the, the demonic entity that's actually behind it. Jezebel is also mentioned in Revelation 2, as I told you earlier, as a woman in leadership. 
Literally, she was a woman in leadership in the church of Thyatira who was teaching a secret doctrine of sexual immorality being okay. And idolatry being okay. Again, this same thing, this Jezebel situation here in Atlanta was exactly that. There was a secret doctrine only for those, uh, you know, only for those mature enough to hear it. To the pure, all things are pure. And so if you were a certain level of spirituality, you could be in on a certain doctrine. And so this person that was hosting the principality was doing so in such uh, a powerful way that looked so similar to what Jezebel did in the Old Testament that even it's the Lord ultimately given this message saying, you have Jezebel in your midst who you're allowing to teach. We don't think her name was actually Jezebel, but that she was manifesting the characteristics of this principality so strongly that she is called Jezebel. And so the Lord even though he was praising the church's love and have good works in other ways, it was like, you got to repent from this. You're going to cease to exist as, as a church. And, but yet then the promise, the way the Lord always is encouraging in his corrections and his promise, if you overcome, I will give you power over the nations and I will give you the day star, the morning star. I was mentioning the situations here in Atlanta that we're aware of where this person Jezebel came in to churches and those churches seemingly took off. A church taking off and having buzz and energy and excitement doesn't necessarily mean it's God. And it's, we don't want to be that, you know, uh, paranoid about it. But you really, there is just a reality that it's, it's the equivalent of, I call it spiritual steroids. It's artificial, unsustainable growth that has collapsed, sown into it. And, and this becomes why the enemy comes into a church or ministry is if he is aware that there is a, a brokenness of spirit, a woundedness of spirit, a flesh or sin condition that is so severe that if Jezebel will add some thrill, excitement, steroids from hell to this thing this could really grow big and people are going to get saved and filled with the holy spirit and get prophetic words and some people are going to be blessed but satan is able to have the patience to think long term and say but you know what when they're huge when they're 15,000 when they're 20,000 when they're 30,000 when they go all over the world it is sown into their foundation they have to collapse because it's built on sin it will it will be unsustainable, their growth. It will collapse, and when it does, it'll be a black eye in God's face. And we will accomplish more by allowing them victory. And so there's even an instruction for demons to back off. Don't affect their finances. Don't give them resistance. Let them feel this is exciting. And so that happens, and we could give you many examples of that. You would know many examples of that. Most of the conditions, most of the stories that we can know about of the last couple of years of ministries that have fallen, very famous big ministries, it's not just like, well, man, they were such a servant of God, and, and then they, you know, the enemy just targeted them, so they fell. No, if you know the fullness of the story, there was, there was tremendous brokenness and sin from the very beginning, and it was covered, and it was covered, and it was covered, and the enemy... 
uh, I'll just tell you one. I won't say their name, but they were in Tampa, and, and, and they were the largest church in America for a season. And the couple, literally, they, they were part of a church in the northeastern part of the United States. And she was the wife of the youth pastor, and the young man was the son of the pastor. And they ran off in straightforward adultery, even leaving their kids behind. They ran down to Tampa and immediately became the fastest growing church in America. And they're still on TV. Or she is. And many still think this is powerful and good. When I don't know what level of repentance she has, uh, uh, she has gone through, but it, it, that's a whole other story. But the bottom line, I'm addressing the earlier point, it already has become a black eye to the body of Christ, to the Lord, because it's sown into it that this is what's going to happen because the, their relationship was birthed out of straightforward, bold adultery. And so the enemy gets behind that and it's like, let's get this thing huge because it's going to collapse. This thing is sown in sin. You understanding what I'm, what I'm saying? So there is a need for discernment in the body of Christ. Again, I say steroids because you all know what's been taking place over the last few years in baseball uh, and in sports in general. But, you know, we can name these people. I don't think there's any problem. There might be no problem naming the other ones. But, for instance, Barry Bonds were for years going, man, this guy's the most incredible hitter ever. What? Look how he hits home runs and he's setting records and he's challenging, you know, Hank Aaron and he passes him in home runs. And it's like, wow. Then it comes out that he's been on steroids for all these years. Most probably the evidence is still going on there. But just when you look at how his, how his body changed, you say something did happen. And so he's, he's been given some steroids that allow him to function uh, in a way that is not normal. And, and, uh, and so there is a mass discrediting of his achievements. And in baseball, there's, yeah, other ones, Mark McGuire, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, Manny Ramirez, great amazement at their statistics, at their strength, at their feats, and, until the source is revealed of how they did it. And, and which, again, just puts them in an unrecoverable place. And, and these, most of these that we've mentioned doesn't look like, it doesn't look like they will make it to the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Shame for them. And, and, and they might have made it Hall of Fame just through their normal uh, uh, skills, but nobody knows when their normal skills stopped and when the artificial kicked in. And so all their previous fruit was undermined. And again, we've seen this. This is a story the last few years. The top cyclists in the world, the gymnasts, the sprinters, the swimmers, the golfers, and virtually all sports, the top achievers have proven to accomplish their feats illegally or illegitimately. In virtually all instances, the athletes were also very promiscuous. Thus confirming a Jezebel stronghold overall. And again, all these that we're talking about outside of the church, these are all called to reveal a measure of God's glory and then direct that glory back to him. But they instead are exited from the stage of life in ignominy, shame, embarrassment as examples of those who have profound self-worship, self-adulation. And they enter the hall of shame instead of the hall of fame. And they give a black eye to baseball. They give a black eye to these other sports. 
You know, it's still these different sports are trying to recover. How do they even, uh, th- this time period, do they now just call the steroids period for, you know, a 15-year period? What do you do with all the statistics of those times? Whoever won, it's like, it's like nothing counted. It was all false. This same Jezebel steroid is made available in Hollywood, where demonic, again, a demonic personality will give a buzz and energy to those who drink of Jezebel's potion. This potion is made up of willful, intentional, seductive strategies. We can see people like Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson, Miley Cyrus. Really, they came in as as pure and and really from a, a church background. And then they hit this, you know, they do their their, their first uh, CD or second, I don't know what exact timing of it is, but they're generally told you can't advance continuing to be this way. You have to show that, you know, you have to show the bad side too. And so they are instructed, intentionally instructed that they must be a seducer. They must use sex as an instrument of advancement. And the moment they accept that they have taken of Jezebel's potion. They are no longer the same person. They are one now that's operating under his steroids. And at every level of life, when you use sex as an instrument of advancement of your glory, you are in league with the spirit of Jezebel. I'll say that again. At every level of life, in any mountain, on any mountain, when you use sex as an instrument of, of, of advancement of your glory, of your destiny, you are in league with the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel. Ultimately, Jezebel takes many to the mountaintop. This can be in Hollywood, church, business, media, but she will always then throw them down to their death. It really is. These stars we talk about from Hollywood, they take of the potion, there is the buzz, the steroid, the anointing that's on them, and they will go to the top, but then they are literally fighting for their lives, and then if they don't get set free from it, it ends up usually costing them. We have just several names well-known names. There's Marilyn Monroe, there's Elvis, there's Michael Jackson, there's Kurt Cobain, recently Amy Winehouse, there's et cetera, et cetera, of 20, 30, 40 more names we could quickly do of big stars who Satan gave them, offered them, and you know they don't know this is what they're doing. Their handlers give them the, the new imaging they must do. But in this new imaging, it's drinking of Jezebel's potion. And in that, they go to the top and then Jezebel who Jezebel raises, she ultimately kills. As in the Bible, Jezebel is surrounded always by death. And ultimately, everyone around Jezebel was violently killed. Her prophets of Baal, her Ahab, herself, her prophets of Asherah. If you're under her influence, she will use you to kill others. Maybe not in a specific physical way. There are some stories of that where that has happened. It's not usually, not usually physical death, but the illegitimate deplace, displacement of others from that which they have obtained without Jezebel steroids. And so there is, uh, you know, there's a sleeping your way to the top. And so you get access to a place you shouldn't have. Somebody earned it, but you haven't. So you've killed their lot. You've taken what was theirs. And again, again, the biblical example would be in the story of, 
if you know, you could read these. We don't have time to, to read these stories at this time. If we do a three-part, we might read the story. But if you remember in uh, 1 Kings, there was Ahab, the king. He wanted Naboth's vineyard. Remember that? There was, and, and he tried to get Naboth to, you know, I'll buy it from you and I'll trade it to you. And he wanted to turn it into a vegetable garden. <clears throat> And Naboth said, no, this is my inheritance. This is what comes from my father's. It's my inheritance. This is the way you get something in the right, proper way. And I will want it to give it to my inheritance to my sons. This is, you know, for it's the, the, the laws of Israel that dominated. Whatever you got, whatever possessions, they were as an inheritance forever. And so Ahab comes home and he's moping and he's crying. And his, and, and Jezebel says, what's the problem, Ahab? Naboth won't give me his, the vineyard. And she says, oh, now, you know, you're the king. Step into your authority. This is yours. God wants you to have this. I'll take care of it, though. Don't worry yourself. And so she sets up, uh, she calls a fast. She organizes this. This is what's so interesting. Jezebel uses religion and religiosity. So she, she, she organizes the whole thing and calls a feast. She says, proclaim a fast. She proclaims a fast to God. She's of Baal, but she, she has no problem mixing with things of God. This is something unique about uh, uh, Baal and Jezebel. They weren't trying to be exclusive. like, try to serve God too. It's okay. But as long as you're allowing for room for uh, Baal also. Elijah is the one that said, no, we don't do these things together. Choose you this day which one of these is God. They can't both be, and that was the whole encounter on, on Mount Carmel. And so Jezebel uh, says, proclaim a fast, have Naboth put in a high place of honor, and then have these worthless fellows, these sons of Belial, come and say, this guy blasphemed against God. And she's talking about the Israelites' God, the real God. She calls a fast, say, this guy did something against God. And so they take him out and they stone him and he's killed. And they kill his two sons so he can't in, have anyone that will inherit uh, the, the land. You don't see that in the first chapter. You only see that later on when you get Second Kings, you find out that his two sons were also killed. So there's no one that could inherit. And so Ahab is happy and he goes and gets his inheritance. Of course, on the way there to pick up... His illegitimate authority, his illegitimate inheritance, Elijah meets him and tells him he will die in that very place and that Jezebel will die in that very place and the dogs will lick up her blood. And that, you know, a little violence, things like that. But that's the way things worked in the, in the Old Testament. So we want to see that. Um, again, there's several things out of that story, just if you didn't get that real quickly. Jezebel promotes Naboth and then has him killed. She'll lift, if she lifts you up, she'll get you killed. So that's just something. If you're in Hollywood right now and you get this message and you hear it, if you enter into league with Jezebel, number one, 90 something percent will never get to the top of the mountain. But those who do, she will also throw you over. She will throw you down. You will fight depression, drugs, suicidal thoughts, and ultimately probably it'll cost you your life in some way or another. You do not want to enter into league or succumb to Jezebelian strategies of advancement in Hollywood or any other place. And then 
There is having illegitimate position. You now own a vineyard that's not yours. You didn't own it, but you succumb to this spirit. All right. <clears throat> I don't think I'm going to get through four. That was just one. <clears throat> How does Jezebel get its or her strength? Is a number two there. As a city principality, we'll talk about it that way first, it is empowered by having loyal subjects. Romans 6.16 says, Whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, his servants you are, whether of sin to death or obedience to righteousness. We may not have thought of this type of application but you are strengthening who you serve. So you strengthen God in his cause, his kingdom, if you obey him. You are strengthening the cause of the evil one if you are in obedience to the evil one. And I believe you, you empower with actual spiritual energy, spirit energy, whatever else we want to call it. There's something that's released from you that is... Re- that goes to that which you obey. A principality is great in a place because many are serving it. And many are serving it because the principality is great in that place. I'll explain that in a moment. But there's a reason why you hear about a principality. You know, you go to a certain part of India and there's a frog principality that's massive there. And nobody crosses it and there's all, and here it's like the frog is no big deal at all. And so why is that? If it was just, if a principality just has the same muscle everywhere it shows up, then you just say, oh, there's a, you know, if a frog principality shows up, it is, it is, you know, very huge, super bad demon. But what makes powers and principalities enlarged, more dangerous, more powerful is When they have loyal subjects, those who yield to them, and by that way, by yielding to them, they are releasing their strength. You're giving your strength. Strength is being given to these principalities. It's like they are operating on the human batteries of that city. So Jezebel is strengthened in Atlanta because there are a lot of Atlantans that are giving their batteries to Jezebel. There's a magazine called Jezebel. It's not even disguised here much. But then conversely, the reason so many succumb and fall to Jezebel is because Jezebel's strong. Which creates a dilemma of strategy. We'll get into in a moment. So a principality is great in a place because many are serving it and many are serving it because the principality is enlarged. Again, Jezebel is enlarged in Atlanta also because many pastors and church leaders have yielded to sexual immorality. But yet many pastors and leaders are falling to Jezebel because she is large in the city. A principality attacks initially at the thought realm. It is the battlefield of the second heaven, the second heaven realm. We don't have a time for in-depth message on that. 
but a principality, when a principality is ruling in some place, it is, it is particularly strong in the thought realm of that city or region or place. And so you can be, uh, your thoughts can be warred against on a constant, in a constant way from that principality being empowered in that place. And it not just be because you're, you're sinful, but that helps. You being sinful helps make you susceptible. We'll go into that more later too. Jezebel is strong in Hollywood because seduction and sexual immorality is rampant and intentional. <clears throat> and, but also because Jezebel is rampant in Hollywood, sexual immorality is strong. It's sort of like what came first, you know, the chicken or the egg. There is the cause and effect now where the chickens keep causing eggs and eggs keep causing chickens. If you get the idea. Sinners keep making Jezebel stronger who keeps making sinners increase who keep making Jezebel stronger. So in strategy to stop Jezebel, question is, do we smash all the eggs or kill all the chickens? Assuming uh, these are bad chicken and eggs, and assuming we want no more chicken and eggs, like there is devil chicken and devil eggs. Ah, there are devil eggs. Okay, beyond that, God must and will provide confrontational setups that will go after both. I want you to understand this just for a moment. God must and will provide confrontational divine setups that will go after both. Example, biblical example is Elijah. We've shared on this before how we took out Baal in one day and he did so really uh, by himself, without unity, and without having fasted 40 days, 40 nights. And he did so without addressing Baal at all. He never talked to Baal, and he took him out. Elijah could not take out Baal, however, unless people acknowledged, as they did at the end of that chapter, 18, 1 Kings, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. When the fire... When the altar was consumed by fire, he called it from heaven and it comes down from heaven and it burns up the altar. The people go, oh my goodness, Baal is not God. We've been serving both. Like, I don't know which one of these. Is it, you know, is it Buddha or is it uh, Muhammad? Who it is? Let's just serve both and just, we don't know. And so Elijah says, you know what? God's jealous, God. Let's decide. Is he God or is the other guy God? Okay, that sounds good to us. And there's only 7,000 of them who had not bowed their knee to Baal. So we have an entire nation that has empowered this thing as the huge blimp. He's the blimp over the nation and he's huge. Elijah knows, I try to take that thing on by myself, I'll get squashed. He's living off the energy of millions. So it wasn't a part, that's why there's no point. He could have fasted 120 days. And not, ha- and not been able to go, I take you on, Baal. He couldn't do so. So he knew he had to go to the battery pack, that which was strengthening 
Baal at that time. And so he says, hey, what do you say? You call on who you think is God. I'll call on who I think is God. So he did this. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And at that moment, you know, Baal just. The blimp went down in an instant. And the people were like, oh my, the Lord, the Lord, he is God. So Elijah says, okay, hey, there's 450 of these prophets. Please, please help me catch them. And so the people who were the principality's battery pack are now catching them and they take them to the brook and, and Elijah kills them. And so he takes on the principality in, in, one, in one day. And so we say, we see this even as an example for us. He could not take out Baal unless the people acknowledged the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Baal is pushed to the side. But the divine confrontation was the masterful setup by God so that the people could see the supremacy of God. The people wouldn't have chosen God without a divine confrontation setup. So we have to, the Lord will allow those to happen too. So we position ourselves for the divine confrontations to take place. Really, he has to orchestrate that, how that happens. Because we know Jezebel has to be weaker so that the churches can advance. But the churches have to be stronger so Jezebel won't be so strong. So that's why a church like ours, we're not here targeting Jezebel. We don't, you know, we're not spending time Jezebel. We're worshiping God. Even as we start out adoration today, First thing that came out of my mouth, I thank you, you're the bigger than Jezebel God. And so I adore him. He's the bigger than Jezebel God. That's all I need to know. He's who I serve. I've got the real principality. The guy who paid with his own blood the price for the entire city of Atlanta. So the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Divine confrontation set up by God. In an individual, again, the question is, how does Jezebel get its or her strength. And we talked about as a city principality, how it is empowered. In an individual, Jezebel becomes stronger as the individual continues in compromise. Which would be sex, drugs, illicit sex, illicit drugs, manipulation, intimidation. In a Hollywood type scenario, This is more obvious. They do it more intentionally, but it's still a deception because they believe it's a strategy, actually. In church, it's more subtle. In the mountain of religion, it's more subtle, and it is more spiritually disguised. In a church scenario, those who are being used by Jezebel, and we'll talk about that more in a future message, end up finding out they're usually processing things like 100% backwards and upside down. Uh, They believe that they are the legitimate authority. They are the prophetic voice. They're the real talent, the real anointing. And and, and they get self-validation even by their own dreams and revelations and, and by fellow Jezebelians. And uh, this has been seen in multiple times and places in other uh, in other cities, nations, and stories I can give also and uh, but we want to in the you know not today, but we want to go into why this happens 
uh, and why does even the person, uh, and we haven't had this uh, in the church in this kind of overt way at all, but where the person even that is being used, almost mainline Jezebel, will be the one pointing out where Jezebel is. And, 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 uh, and it's part of the, uh, you know, the deceitfulness of that, of that whole thing. But we're not, again, there's none of this. That's why I can't really end in a place where it just makes us Jezebel conscious. So I have to look at this and see how I'm going to close this first session out in a place of real good victory. <laughs> All right, this, this, I think we can do it after. This is a short one. We'll do number three, and we'll start number four on the next, next time. This is um, what does a Jezebel attack feel like? And again, this is, a, this is a, a pretty short segment. And, um, and this can help some of you. And it's not exhaustive. I really could do a whole hour on this. But again, I just, I don't like taking that much time going over that type of thing. If you are an individual under its attack, you can very possibly identify with Elijah's feelings that we haven't read in the book of 1 Kings after Jezebel told him she was coming to get him. And, And again, he had just had this tremendous victory. He was high as a kite, you could say. He had taken out the prophets of Baal. He had done it in one day. There's a moment of confrontation. He had called for fire from heaven. He had come there. You'd think he'd be like unintimidatable. And that he could not, you know, who can possibly bring Elijah down? The next chapter starts out, Ahab goes to Jezebel. It says, Elijah called for fire from heaven. It came down. He killed all the prophets of Baal. Jezebel's like, okay. She sends a messenger to Elijah. You know, tomorrow, this time, you're going to be dead. I'm taking you out. And uh, because of what you have done. And it's amazing that you would think Elijah would go, water off my back. But he was immediately in despair and discouragement. He had a loss of focus, hopelessness, depression. Again, I'm talking to you now with symptoms that you could feel. Despair, discouragement, loss of focus, hopelessness, depression, want to quititis. <laughs> Weakness, fatigue. It struck out at me the other night, last week, and when we had the conference, felt like the Lord... Uh, first point out, word of knowledge, someone and, and fighting weakness. And then uh, there is fatigue and that there is unusual fatigue and weakness of this last year that people had sensed. And I, I said, I feel like the Lord's releasing power against that right now. Stand up if you've been hit with that. And two thirds of the conference stood up as, as specific fatigue or weakness. They'd been hit this, this year. I was like, oh my goodness. That's something Jezebel does to spirit people. And there was, uh, had immediately, the next day, several give me, I didn't even give opportunity for testimony, but they were telling me how they, they were strengthened, they had slept well, and all that. Um, for me, I, I, when, I, when I feel the attack come on me, I feel it like an actual, uh, you know, it's an actual power energy against me that is real. 
and, and again, I'll feel this primarily even when I'm going on a trip right before a trip. Uh, I'll have, uh, you know, my last trip speaking at a glow in Houston. Several thousand people from 170 nations. And, and up till the time for the two or three days, I think we're two or three days ahead of time before I speak. And I, I'm, I'm feeling something. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's some witchcraft resistance and I just, I can feel it. And, 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 and it's coming like an energy, but it's like coming inside of me. I know it's different than I'm not prone to uh, discouragement or anything like that. So when I feel it and it's real I, discouragement, a hard time saying that it's discouragement because I have like this built in thing that won't even, I don't even acknowledge it when it's happening. So I'm, Elizabeth said, you were feeling that there. I don't tell her. I don't tell anybody. Um, because I'm like, I, I don't even want to acknowledge it. It's like I'm above it. And so I, you know, to acknowledge it is to give it strength. And so it's like, whatever. So, you know, whatever comes and often there's something I'll feel in even my stomach and then I can sometimes feel dizziness, uh, my body acidity and, 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 and almost feel a little bit um, like vertigo. And, and that's what, that's the way it hits me. And again, I didn't tell, say occasionally once in a blue moon, uh, if there's blue moons, um, I, I'll tell Elizabeth it, when we're, we're somewhere and she'll lay hands on me. Cause on the other hand, she has a lot of authority when she prays over me, things really go away quickly. So it's something I, I can and, and should use, but I'm like, okay, for one thing, it tells me, okay, this is a big deal. What's about to happen here is a big deal. And so it's almost a sign to me. And it's like the devil showing you your, his cards in, in some way. So I'm like, whatever. And, and, um, and so even I remember going on the stage and then I'm speaking, I was like, Ooh, it was, it, it, I was a little dizzy and it wasn't Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and, uh, and then as I'm speaking, I can feel it first when I'm first speaking, because that's what it's trying to shut down a prophetic voice. That's I'm declaring that he's about to take over the world. And I'm, you know, something going out to 170 nations. And so, um, there's a point like it's, it, it, there's almost something like, this isn't true. Uh, coming at you. And so it's like you either bend to it or at that time I go into turbo usually. <laughs> Not only that, let me tell you what else I'm seeing. <clears throat> and, uh, and so, uh, even there by my first message, it's gone. No more trouble the rest of the whole time. And, and so that's, that's how I know, you know, part of it is like, Oh, you're coming down with something. You're, you could, this could be really bad. You could really be sick with something. You could, you know, all, you could be all these things. Like, oh, just, I'm just telling you how it, I, I've been aware this stuff comes against me. So I'm telling you some ways it could affect you, particularly when you're on a call assignment, a mission, you're about to walk into your prophetic gifting. It could hit you like this before you're supposed to be part of the prophetic teams on Friday night. Those of you who have had to press through that, you might have found you had to do that. There might have been people who quit before Friday nights because you're about to do it. Like, who am I? I got so many problems. I can't do it. Well, intimidation, intimidation, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you're, and so it's trying to shut a prophetic voice. So one of the things you do is you don't let it. Again, this is primarily you know these things. If you are not prone to despair or depression... Uh, and these type of 
symptoms, I'm telling you, and it comes as a wave, particularly right before you're supposed to walk in some aspect of your prophetic gifting, whether it's one of these arts things we're talking about or the other, this could signify Jezebel attack. Now, it feels like a witchcraft that tries to disable you, to put it in another way. It's like, just like, you're out of sync. Uh, and... Again, it doesn't mean you go, oh, I'm under Jezebel attack, and you give in to it. That's the worst thing. Let's advance here. I say in, in arts and entertainment, the mountain of celebration, if you're in Hollywood or something to do with films, you could feel it as an assault by seduction. Uh, an incredible pull all of a sudden to drugs, to alcohol, illicit sex, pornography truth is this is actually a same assault ministers can feel there's something like 70 percent of ministers have problems with pornography again to the degree you're under the influence of the sin of jezebel you are you do become disabled to function or to function very well now being hit by the depression or the fatigue or the wanting to quititis that does not make you a bedfellow with Jezebel necessarily, like yielding to her into the actual temptations of drugs and sex. And we'll get into even in a future message on what, how drugs and Jezebel are connected. But even in Elijah's case in 1 Kings 19, he got hit so hard spiritually by Jezebel's threat, the next chapter after calling fire from heaven... That while he did not fall in the, in the seduction ways, it really did immobilizing, immobilize him and it, it, it seemingly did, did finish or, or curtail his commission. I want to look at that. and you know, This is where we are winding down and headed to our, let me just pray over you a ministry time. Because who I want to pray over is if you can, as I'm describing this, if you're like, you know what, I've been being hit by this and I haven't. Uh, I just haven't realized it as clear as I'm realizing it right now tonight. I want to pray. I believe the Lord has victory. I actually forgot for this time, but I do have a sword uh, that we're going to bring in a, in a next or the, the message after that, depending if I determine. I think there's going to be at least three messages now. And, and we will uh, do a prophetic act with that. But we'll go ahead and do something tonight, maybe blow the shofar over you. And I, I believe the Lord is, again... He's telling us, we're, we're talking the, 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 the topic here. The theme is victory over Jezebel. We have a prophetic word that it's sown into our church victory, into the name itself, Daystar. There is victory sown into it. And so there's, this is not about being afraid of this. You don't have to yield or you don't have to lose, succumb to, to Jezebel. But wanna, this is for instructive, even helping to recognize how it may hit you um, in First Kings 19, well, I should, I really do need to just, I feel like the Lord telling me just to take the few moments to, to read the first verses, and, and this is instructive to you. This is the chapter after he's dealt with Baal. And, Jeh, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to, to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. 
And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. This is the next day after calling fire from heaven. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down at angel food cake. <laughs> Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and drank, and he went in the strength of that food. Angel food cake, he went in the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Angel came, gave him cake. And it was strong enough for 40 days. And there he went into a cave. Now he's going to a cave. And he spent the night. That's what he had come out of originally. Now he's back in the cave, spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have received.